So we are working through a six-week series on spiritual gifts, and we've talked about how when, when you first put your trust in Jesus Christ, remember that day when you first put your trust in Jesus, not only does he forgive you for all of your sins and pour his Holy Spirit out upon you so you are filled with his love and his joy for the first time, but in addition to that, he starts giving you spiritual gifts. He starts giving you spiritual gifts, which will help you to encourage other people, strengthen other people, bring other people to salvation, bless lots of other people. That's what God does. That's why we're talking about spiritual gifts. Now, people who love Jesus have different opinions on whether Jesus is still giving the more, for lack of a better term, the more charismatic spiritual gifts, like prophecy or tongues or healing. Is Jesus still giving those gifts? And in this series, we're trying to show you why we elders believe that God is still giving all of those gifts. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says that there will be a time when those gifts end, but that time, we think the best understanding of the passage, is when Jesus returns at the end of history which means that those gifts are still being given now and will be given until Jesus comes back. Read 1 Corinthians 13, the last four or five verses there. Now, more evidence for this can be found by looking at what church leaders in the first, second, and third century wrote about spiritual gifts. I want to give you an example. This is something that Irenaeus wrote. Irenaeus was a church leader of the church in France, and he wrote this around the year 180 A.D., that's 90 or so years after the last apostle died and when the scriptures were completed. 90 years later, here's what he writes. Those who are truly Jesus' disciples do certainly and truly drive out devils, drive out demons, so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits often both believe in Christ and join the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and bring prophecies. Others heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. It is not possible to name the number of the gifts which the church, scattered through the whole world, has received from God in the name of Jesus Christ. Irenaeus, writing in 180 AD. So quotes like that, along with 1 Corinthians 13 and other passages persuade me that these more charismatic gifts are still being given, which means that we should continue to obey what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Look at this verse again. We've looked at it every week in the series. Look at it one more time. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, where Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we should pursue love. The reason we pursue gifts is not to make ourselves look good or make our church look good. We want to pursue these gifts for the sake of love, to help other people. And so for the sake of love, we earnestly desire these gifts, especially prophecy, because these gifts will strengthen fellow believers, and these gifts can bring lost people to faith in Christ or move them along the road towards faith in Christ. So this week and next week, we're going to work through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, where Paul lists many of these gifts. We're going to do the first section today and then finish up the list next 
Saturday. So let's read, though, the whole passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. Here's the list that we're going to go through, starting today and finishing up next Saturday. And then the next two Saturdays, Pastor Ben and Aaron are going to take us through gifts of speech and gifts of action from, from Romans 12 and 1 Peter. But look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So let's start through this list. I want to go through them one by one explain what they are, and answer some questions about them. So first of all, Paul mentions the utterance of wisdom and of knowledge. I put those together because they're very similar, but look again in verse 8. This is where he mentions these gifts. For to one, Paul says, is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So what are these gifts? Now some people think that it's wisdom and knowledge that we learn from the Bible about who Jesus is and what God's plan of salvation is. So this would be something that we can study for ourselves and learn simply from looking at the scriptures. And the reason that they take it that way is because earlier in 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul does use the words knowledge and wisdom to describe knowledge and wisdom about who God is, who Jesus is, and God's plan of salvation through Jesus. But as important as that is, and that's of crucial importance that we all be studying the scriptures to learn the wisdom and knowledge God has for us about the plan of salvation, as important as that is, I don't think that's what these gifts involve. One reason is because these gifts are not for everyone. Did you notice what Paul says? To one is given the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge. But God wants every believer to be studying the scriptures, to be learning knowledge, and wisdom about the plan of salvation. Another reason is because in the very next chapter, chapter 13, Paul uses that word knowledge in a context where he's talking about spiritual gifts, more charismatic spiritual gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. He says, And if I have prophetic powers... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And notice, he's listing some of the more charismatic gifts here. Prophecy and mountain-moving faith, which makes it likely that all mysteries and all knowledge involves God giving us knowledge, wisdom, that we wouldn't be able to come up with on our own. Knowledge about what to do in a particular situation. Wisdom about how to handle this particular problem. So my conclusion is that these gifts are where God supernaturally brings into your mind wisdom, 
knowledge that you couldn't have otherwise known, which when you share it in the situation you're in or with the people that you're with, brings them great benefit and great, great help. Let me give you an example. Many years ago, back in the U.S., when we were there, Jan and I were living right across the street from the University of California at Irvine, and we were leading a home group in our apartment. And one night, there's maybe 15 or 20 college students there, and we were just worshiping the Lord, and God, God's presence was just, just filled the room. It was an amazingly powerful time. But my eyes were closed. I was worshiping, and, but I, I could sense something was going on that was a little disruptive, and I opened my eyes, and I looked across the, the room, and a young man was sitting there, and he was just, he was just shaking violently, and he was in great distress. This was not, a, not a, a happy thing going on there. And so I just thought I'll, I'll take him back to the back of our apartment with another brother so we could pray for him and see what's going on. So we just exited the room and, and walked back. And, and while I was walking back, this clear thought came into my mind with just this sense of the presence of the Lord that God was saying, he's been sleeping with his girlfriend, and I am not pleased. He needs to repent. I just thought, whoa, <laughs> okay. So we went back in the back, talked for a little while, and I said, you know, I, I, I've got to ask you a question. And if I'm wrong, please forgive me. But I, I think God told me that you're sleeping with your girlfriend, and he is calling you to repent. And he just is broke. He said, yes, yes. And he confessed that. He repented of that. And was transformed. It was a, a life-changing night for him. But see, that's an example of times where God can give you knowledge or wisdom that you wouldn't otherwise know. I had no idea. But God loved that brother. And God wanted to stop that brother from his sin, pull him back, wake him up. And, and God did that night. It was very, very powerful. So that's what I think God means by the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of, of knowledge, where God brings you knowledge, wisdom that you wouldn't otherwise have known, because when you share it, it'll benefit and bless and help others. Now, how do we receive that kind of a gift? Well, by earnestly desiring it. That's what Paul says in chapter 14, verse 1. Earnestly desiring. Do you earnestly desire the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, where God would bless other people by, by doing that? And also by praying. That surely is part of earnestly desiring. God, Give me whatever wisdom, knowledge I need, especially if you're in a situation where you aren't sure what to do or what to say. God, this is, I especially need wisdom and knowledge right now. So earnestly desire and ask God, and he will give these gifts as they're appropriate to bless the people around you. So that's the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. Now, second, Paul mentions the gift of faith. Look at verse 9 again. He says, To another is given faith by the same spirit. The words is given comes from the right previous verse there. So to another is given faith by the same spirit. Now, what, what kind of faith is Paul talking about here? We know that we're saved from our sins and joined to Jesus spiritually and emotionally by faith alone, not by trying to be good enough, not by trying to earn our standing. It's by trusting God's mercy in Christ through what Jesus did on the cross. So we, we trust Jesus to change us, to forgive us, to satisfy us, and he does. That's saving faith, which is given to every believer, right? You're trusting Jesus right now. God has given you saving faith. But this gift of faith here can't be saving faith because it's not given to every believer. Did you catch that? Paul says it's given 
to another. So to another is given this, to another is given the gift of faith, to another is given this. So this gift is not given to every believer, which means it's not saving faith. So if it's not saving faith, what kind of faith is it? I think the answer is found in the same verse we just looked at from 1 Corinthians 13. Look again, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, and notice what Paul says about faith in this verse. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So this faith is not the saving faith that joins you to Jesus, which every believer has. That's the most amazing faith. doesn't get any better than that. That's the ultimate. But this faith is a miracle-working faith by which God removes mountains, by which God heals cancer, by which God provides jobs when the job market's tough. That's what this gift of faith is, miracle-working faith. Now, one question that comes up a lot, there are people who think that we should try to stir this faith up in our hearts. So we, we try to believe God's going to work a miracle. He's going to remove this mountain. He's going to heal this person of cancer. He's going to provide a job where you think that you're supposed to believe that God's going to work a miracle. But the problem with that is that we don't know when God is going to work a miracle or not. So there's really no basis for you believing that God's going to work a miracle because you don't, don't know that. I mean, it's, it's obvious if you think about it from, from terms of what is taught in the scriptures. Think about Paul, mighty, anointed, empowered man of God. But Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. And, and God, God said, no, I've got more joy for you with this thorn in the flesh than if I took it away from you. So I'm going to leave it. So God didn't work a miracle there because that wasn't God's will to work a miracle there. But there's another time where Paul prays for Eutychus to be raised from the dead. And God raised him from the dead. Well, what was the difference? Well, in that case, it was God's will to work a miracle. So this gift of faith is not something that, that we're supposed to try to to stir up in our hearts. If I could just believe enough, then God's going to work a miracle. That's, that's not how it works. But there will be times when God's going to work a miracle, and at those times, God will, will give you an, an unexplainable confidence that you know God is going to work a miracle. And when you then pray or when you then step out, it happens. God will do that. that that's what the gift of faith is. Now, just, just a side note, God can work miracles without you receiving that gift of faith, right? So if you need something and you have faith that God is able to work a miracle and you pray on that basis, that's all you need to do. And then God often works miracles when you're just simply, Lord, I know you're able to. I don't know if this is your will or not, but I pray that you would. God often works miracles in exactly that kind of situation. But there are times where God gives a gift of faith. Let me give you an example. Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries to inland China, but in his growing up years, he was far from the Lord. And his mother prayed for him every day. Now, his mother had to go visit a friend a couple of hours away and stay there for a few weeks. And so she did that. But one 
day, right after lunch, as she was there with this friend a couple hours away, she just felt like the Lord was calling her to go up to her room that she was staying in, lock the door, and to give the afternoon to praying for her son to come to faith. So she excused herself from her friend, said, can I please go do that? The friend said, sure. And so she was up there laboring in prayer, crying out to God, pleading with God to save her son. And as she prayed, she started to experience something unusual. She felt God giving her this overwhelming certainty that he, that afternoon, was going to save her son. And so she prayed, and the more she prayed, the more confidence she got until she knew, it's done. He's saved. He is saved. Okay, so fast forward now. She comes home a little while later, comes in the front door. He welcomes her and says, Mom, I have some very good news to share with you. She says, I know. And it happened that last Tuesday, right? And he said, how did you know? And they were celebrating the Lord together what he had done. See, that's the gift of faith. Not something you stir up. I've got to to try to believe that God's going to work a miracle here. But God gives you, you, you know, because he's given you that unexplainable certainty. That's the gift of faith. Now, how do we receive that gift? Same answer. Earnestly desire it. Do you earnestly desire the gift of faith? Which would include praying for it. When was the last time you prayed and said, God, give me the gift of faith. Give this to me. And then being alert to what God might do so that when that happens, you'll know what it is. Okay, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. And then when God gives it, pray or act, whatever works with the gift of faith that God's given you. So that's the gift of faith. Next, Paul mentions the gift of healing. Verse 9. Look at what Paul says. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now, why is this gifts, plural, of healing? Not just to another, the gift of healing. Why? I'm not entirely sure, but I think it might be for this reason. I think Paul wants to make it clear that we don't just receive one gift of healing, which then from that point on is always under our ability and power to use whenever we choose to use it. So I can heal this person, I can heal this person, I can heal this person. That's not what the gifts of healing are about. It's that God will give you a gift of healing as you're praying for this person, possibly, and they're healed. Then you're praying for somebody else, and I need another gift of healing. So this is the second gift of healing I'm asking for. And here's another person I'm praying for. This is a third gift of healing I'm asking for. And so it's always under God's sovereignty. It's under God's authority. I'm always dependent upon him. I'm always asking him for fresh gift of healing. I think that's what's going on here with the plural gifts of healing. So healing is where God supernaturally heals somebody. Supernaturally. Now, we love doctors. We love nurses. We have doctors and nurses here. God loves to heal through doctors and nurses, and we thank him for doctors and nurses. Don't ever hesitate to go to a doctor and a nurse. It's not a sign of unbelief at all. But the gift of healing, as described here in this passage, is where God supernaturally brings healing to someone. Now, here's another question. Does the Bible teach that it's always God's will to heal someone right now? We could think that from Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Well-known verses. I love these verses. Look at what we read there. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Now you could think very easily that that means that God always is going to heal all of your diseases right now. The problem, though, is that's not what we see in the rest of Scripture. For example, John 11, Mary and Martha go to Jesus and ask him to come quickly to heal their brother Lazarus who's dying. And John tells us in chapter 11 that because Jesus loved them, he waited. One day, two days, three days. And when he finally goes, Lazarus has died. Puzzling passage. How could that be loving of Jesus? Well, if you read the verses before and after, it's because the most loving thing God can do for anyone, what will give Mary and Martha the greatest joy, and Lazarus the greatest joy, is seeing the most of Jesus' glory displayed. And Jesus' glory was more displayed by raising Lazarus from the dead than it would have been by healing Lazarus. Healing Lazarus would have been amazing. But seeing Lazarus rise from the dead, whoa! And so it was more loving for Jesus to do that for Mary and Martha and for Lazarus than, than healing. Another example, I already mentioned Paul's thorn in the flesh. Remember Paul prays for this three times to be removed, thorn in the flesh. I think the most natural understanding of that passage is it's some physical ailment that Paul has. This is Paul praying, and God says, Paul, no, I'm going to give you even more of Jesus' presence with this thorn in the flesh than you would have without it. And so Paul says, therefore, I rejoice in my sufferings. There's also the fact that Paul tells Timothy, remember in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 5, verse 8, Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Now, if it was always God's will to heal supernaturally all the time, Paul would have just prayed for him, save Timothy some money, right, to solve that stomach problem. But that wasn't, it's not always God's will. There are times when God wills to use medicinal means. Okay, so then what does Psalm 103 mean? when it says that God heals all our diseases. He does heal all our diseases, either in this life, which we pray for each other for, or in the life to come. But every believer's, every disease of every believer will be healed, either in, in this life or in the life to come. So Grace Church, we pray for the sick here. I want to encourage us, let's be more bold in praying for the sick because God wants us to pray for the sick. He calls us to pray for the sick. We pray for the sick, but we know that sometimes it's God's will not to, not to heal. And so we pray saying, Lord, heal them. We ask you in Jesus' name. We love them. Show your glory. Bring healing. That's our role. And then God's role is to do what he knows is, is best. Now, when you pray for the sick, the only faith you need is to know that God is able. Look at Matthew chapter 9, 23 through 28, somewhere in there, where Jesus asks, I think it's a blind man, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And the man says, yes. 
And Jesus says, let it be done to you according to your faith. It's enough to believe that he's able. Okay, we don't try to stir up confidence that he will. We know that he can. And he wants us to pray. And we trust the results to him. Just a quick example. I was, Jan and I were both once in a home group. Um, spending an evening in prayer, just calling upon the Lord. And in the course of talking and praying and sharing, a woman shared that, that she had a lump in her breast that she was concerned about. And so women prayed for her. And she didn't feel anything particularly special going on, supernatural. But the next day, she let us know that it was gone. It was gone. And many of you have experienced that or heard stories like that. That's what God can do. Totally. He loves to have us pray for the sick. He loves to heal the sick, to display his love and his compassion and his glory. So how do we receive gifts of healing? What do we do? You know the answer now. Earnestly desire them, right? Which includes praying for them. When was the last time that you prayed for a gift of healing? Pray. Ask God for that. And then we step out and pray for the sick. We ask God in his mercy to heal them. And we trust the results to him. So let's grow even more to be a church where we are praying for the sick here Saturday mornings. I know there's social distancing issues now and stuff, but this will lift someday, okay? But find ways, just, you, you can stand off at a distance. God doesn't care about how close you are. You can pray. God will do it. God loves to answer. And let's be praying for each other. Home groups, let's pray for the sick. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, Oh, God can touch people's lives who don't even know him yet. And, and, and that might be a step towards bringing them to faith in Christ. Next, Paul talks about the working of miracles. It's amazing. Just here's this list of spiritual gifts that God gives to his people. Some of you are going to get the gift of working miracles. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. Now, what is that? Well, it's simple. It's a miracle, right? God overcomes the laws of nature to do something astonishing. God created the laws of nature. He can transcend them, overcome them, ignore them. He's God. Like when Israel came upon water that was bitter and God told Moses to put a log in the water and the water turned sweet, that's a miracle. Or when God told Moses to strike the rock with his rod and water came out of the rock, water doesn't come out of rocks unless God chooses to have water come out of rocks. So God can work miracles. I remember, I've heard that my grandfather, who was a, an evangelist um, in like 1920s, 30s, 40s, in there, 1950s, um, there was a time when he was preaching at a at soldier's field in Chicago in the U.S. And something about him praying that the rain would stop. So I Googled it yesterday, and I found a, a book somebody wrote, it, or he mentioned this in the book, an eyewitness that was there. And he said that, my grandfather, um, it started to rain when he started to preach, so he stopped. He said, let's pray and ask God to have the rain stop, and the rain stopped. And then this guy said that after the preaching was done and you know they, they, they finished up the service, the rain started again. I mean, he said, I was there. So anyway, I guess, I guess it's true. Um, but that's just a miracle, right? You pray, and, and God works a miracle. So how do you receive the gift of working miracles? And again, wouldn't you love to have that gift? I mean, think of the glory that would come to Christ through miracles being worked. And this is a gift that God gives to us. How do we receive it? Well, we earnestly desire it. We pray for it. Don't think you need the gift of faith necessarily along with it. 
right? These are, these are two separate gifts. They can be combined, but not necessarily. God often works miracles. When you see a need, and you know that God is able to do something miraculous, and you pray and you ask him to do something miraculous. When was the last time you asked God to do something miraculous? Or do you think, well, that, that, that would be, that's like out, out, outside of my league, outside of my pay scale, or whatever it might be. No, no, no. There's a need. God is able. You humbly pray. Lord, would you do this? Because whenever we pray, God is either going to do exactly what you ask for or something even better, which will bring you more joy and bring him even more glory. So that's the, the working of miracles. One more we're going to cover this morning, the gift of prophecy. Verse 10. To another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy. Now, we've talked about prophecy a bit. Let's visit it here again. What is prophecy? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 through 31. This is the clearest verse that helps me define what is meant by the spiritual gift of prophecy. Verse 29. Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. He's talking about a like a Saturday morning church gathering. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, wrap up, so that this other person can share the prophecy. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So notice, he's talking about prophecy in these verses. He mentions prophets in verse 29, prophecy in verse 31, but he doesn't mention prophecy in verse 30 because he's using other words to describe prophecy. Namely, a revelation is made to someone. That's what prophecy is. It's where God reveals something to you that you couldn't otherwise have known. He gives you some kind of knowledge, some kind of information that you wouldn't otherwise have known. Which then when you share that revelation that God gives you, tentatively, humbly, but when you share it, I think the Lord is saying this. God brings great benefit to those who are, who are listening. Now, as we saw last week, that the New Testament gift of prophecy is not equal to Scripture. The New Testament gift of prophecy must be judged by Scripture. No book of the New Testament was written by a New Testament, somebody with a gift of prophecy. All the books of the New Testament are written by apostles and they have authority to judge what the prophets say. The, the apostolic scriptures are the judge. And so if somebody brings a word of prophecy at some point in time, which contradicts what the Bible says, then that's not a word of prophecy from God. Let's just be really clear. We talked about that quite a bit last week. But let me share a gift of prophecy that, that was from God. This is, it's so encouraging to, re, to, re, to remember this one. This was back in the U.S., our previous church, on a Sunday morning, worship service, and the worship leader was up front leading, and, and he, he looked out over the, uh, the, the congregation, and like the Lord directed his eyes to, to one woman and with this thought that after the service, ask her to become part of the worship team. And I uh, thought, well, okay. I mean, it was, it was very clear, very distinct, sensed the presence of the Lord. So after the service, he, he walked up to her and he said, um, I think God is wanting me to tell you that he wants you to be part of our worship team. Now, here's the backstory. She had recently moved from the Midwest to California, had been part of the worship team at her previous church. And then she felt like God was calling her to, to lay that down. She loved it. She was gifted, but just to lay that down. 
and to leave that entirely in his hands. And that when she made this move to California, that she should not pursue being part of the worship team, but let it be in his hands that if he wanted her to be on it, she would be asked to be part of it. So I don't know how much time went by between when they arrived and when this happened, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, I don't know, but she was just laying it at the Lord's feet. And so imagine how you would have felt if you were her and the worship leader walks up and says, I think this morning God has put in my heart that I should ask you to be part of the worship team. Can you feel how incredibly encouraging that would have been? And she was a great addition to the worship team. So that's the gift of prophecy. Another example. How do you pursue? How do you receive the gift of prophecy? Will you earnestly desire it? Do you earnestly desire the gift of prophecy? Do you ask God to give it to you? Do you ask God to give it to you for your home group or for Grace Church for here Saturday morning or for your husband or your wife or your kids or whoever you're with? Do you ask God to give you a word of prophecy? And if he does give one to you, then you share it and they'll be benefited. If not, that's all right. You just, you've done your part. You've asked. Here's what I want us to do now. I want us, in a moment, I'm going to have a stand. I just want to pray that God will, we've, we've gone through half this list, that, that God will pour out his gifts upon Grace Church even more over the next days, weeks, months, years. Because Grace Church, we want to do everything we can to see Jesus Christ magnified and glorified here in Abu Dhabi. We are living in such a spiritually needy place, surrounded by people who've never heard the gospel, many of them, who desperately need Jesus. And sharing the gospel, praying for them, there's lots of ordinary ways that we can share the gospel, but these are additional ways through which the gospel can advance even more and even more glory can come to Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over me and over us. Now, some of you may not be persuaded yet that God is still giving some of these more charismatic gifts. And if that's the case, keep studying the scriptures. You study for yourself what the scriptures say. If you'd like to meet with one of the elders to talk about that and share more, we'd be happy to sit down with you and, and share with you more about why this is our persuasion. Um, so if you're not persuaded yet, then you just keep studying. But if you are persuaded, let me pray. And let's ask God, God, pour out. I'm just gonna, I'll go ahead and pray. Father, we want to see Christ glorified as much as we possibly can here in Abu Dhabi and the UAE. Lord, we long to see your name lifted high and praised and magnified. And we see this list of gifts, Lord, and we're persuaded that you are still giving these gifts. And Lord, we plead with you that you would pour these gifts out upon Grace Church even more. More, Lord, we pray. Please, Lord, pour out your grace of these gifts upon us, we ask in Jesus' name, so that your people would be built up and strengthened even more so that the lost would see your reality and your power and your love even more so that people would become saved even more so that your name would be lifted up and praised and magnified even more. Lord, we ask that you would pour out even more of your gifts upon us. We, we just want to surrender ourselves to you now, Lord, and say, here we are, Lord. Use us, gift us, send us. We want to be your servants. Come and pour out your gifts upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.